We really need to start to redefine what national security means. It is the week of January 4th, and welcome to episode 58 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that explores the disagreements between the political left and right on issues of national security and foreign policy. Today, NSI Senior Fellow Lester Munson will be doing a deep dive with Jim Denoy, NSI Visiting Fellow and author of the recent NSI Law and Policy paper entitled Stopping the Spread, Pandemics, Warning, and the IC. Jim is a retired career intelligence officer from the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency, where he worked in a variety of intelligence fields, including geospatial intelligence, current and crisis intelligence, long-term research, policy support, and foreign intelligence relationships. His tours of duty included assignments in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Office of the Secretary of Defense, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, U.S.-European Command, NATO, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the White House. Jim, congratulations on another provocative paper on a hot topic. It seems to go without saying that this current coronavirus pandemic must have inspired you to write this paper. Absolutely. First of all, Les, it's uh, really a pleasure to be back here. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this very important issue of how we deal with future pandemics. You're absolutely right. Uh, Really, back in the spring, I was inspired as I, I had just recently retired from the intelligence community in January of this year. And after 38 years in the intelligence community, I said, hey, you know, what more can the intelligence community do to address the issue of pandemics? And I really goes, I really think it goes to a fundamental question that we all have to ask ourselves. And that is, you know, we really must redefine what national security means. I mean, in the Cold War, it was narrowly defined as the existential threat that was posed by the prospect of thermonuclear war with the Soviet Union. But I think if anything, the COVID-19 pandemic has taught us and has struck home is that there are other dangers out there that are that pose existential threats. And one of those is uh, the existential threat of infectious diseases, pathogens such as the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I said, you know, we really, really have to examine this from a standpoint of, again, how can the... In- entire national security apparatus, including the intelligence community, really address this in a, in a comprehensive way. Let's jump off from right there. How does the intelligence community handle uh, global health issues, pandemics, that kind of thing right now? Well, I think the good news is that the intelligence community really has been following the issue of infectious diseases comprehensively really for the past 20 years. And you can go back to about 20 years ago, uh, going back when the intelligence community, the National Intelligence Council, uh, most specifically, had produced a very comprehensive, unclassified national intelligence estimate on the threat posed by infectious diseases. And that, that came out 20 years ago in January of 2020. And that really, I think, set the, uh, set the pace for the intelligence community over the ensuing decades of at least raising the issue of a global pandemic, such as we experienced back in 1918, as an incredibly disruptive event uh, that we really had to be prepared for. Jim, it might be a totally unfair question, but if the intelligence community had made uh, pandemics and global health a higher priority, and I'm not saying they're wrong not to, but if they'd made it a higher priority a year ago, do you think we would be experiencing uh, here in the United States and, and globally a different kind of pandemic? Well, that's really a, a really a tough hypothetical question. Let me put it this way. I think the intelligence community was good at providing 
what we call in the intelligence business strategic warning, at least putting out the general threat that pathogenic outbreaks occur, they will occur in the future, and that we need to be prepared for it. But as with any really tough intelligence question, it's the devil's in the details. I mean, the the actual tactical warning, the specifics about the when is it going to happen, where it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, that has always been a an inherent challenge for the intelligence community on any issue the intelligence community addresses. But certainly, I think that the Ebola outbreak that occurred back in 2013, 2014, once again, raised the issue of the dangers that a pathogen could pose to the the health and security of the United States. So I'm not dodging your question, Les. I'm just saying that it's really a hypothetical. What I think we have to do is look look to the future now as a result of over 300,000 Americans dying in a period of a little over nine months. I mean, we're talking about more Americans have died now from COVID-19 than the combat deaths uh, we suffered during the Second World War, less than four years of of war. So we really have to take a a national whole of society approach on this and give public health security and safety the same kind of priority that we gave dealing with terrorism in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. So do you think if we, hypothetically, if maybe I'm being too hypothetical here, but uh, if we had the IC more involved in pandemic preparedness and, and surveillance and that kind of thing, do you think you can draw a direct line from that to an increased ability to contain an outbreak in a specific area? In other words, if we had more advanced warning or more particularized knowledge about what is happening you know, with, with a virus and uh, how it's treating humans, that policymakers would be better prepared uh, diplomatically and otherwise to contain the problem. Yes. I, I think what I'm arguing is that, you know, the, the capabilities that the intelligence community possesses, both on the collection front and the analysis front, that we apply to every other problem set, national security problem set, can be applied to public health, to public health security, as I would say. For example, you know, signals intelligence could intercept communications among foreign officials in an affected country, giving us early warning that there's a problem afoot. And I want to I want to make this clear from the beginning. I'm talking about the intelligence community playing a key supporting role. Some might argue that, hey, this is really not the business of the intelligence community to be in the lead on this. And you could argue that one way or the other. But I think it would be very hard to argue against the fact that the intelligence community can apply some of the skill sets that it has and the capabilities that it has to support the public health community, specifically the the Centers for for Disease Control, in their surveillance and detection efforts that they carry on both in the United States and around the world. You focused in your paper and I think it's, it's, it's great and interesting work on the intelligence community. And we want to talk about how it can interface with HHS and CDC in a minute. But before we, before we let go of this topic, I want to push you a little bit on, on that role of the IC, that supportive role. Do you think that in addition to prioritizing this issue with the intelligence community, we would also have to take other steps with our diplomatic community to get them ready to take the steps that are necessary to actually protect us a little bit better in a pandemic? pandemic situation. In other words, is it just the IC that needs kind of a refresh on this issue or should we be thinking about it for the state
State Department also. Yeah, I'll go back to my point that it, it really needs to be not only a whole of government approach, but a whole of society approach. And you're absolutely right, because this truly is a case where we're only as strong as our weakest link, because pathogens don't discriminate. And so if we don't have everybody mobilized and really running on all cylinders, so to speak, the efforts that one part of the government or one part of the society might be taking are going to be undermined by the other parts that are not uh, on board, so to speak. So absolutely, I believe the diplomatic community has to be part of this. The military has to be part of it. Really, the entire national security establishment uh, needs to be on board. All right, let's go to the health bureaucracy question and geek out a little bit for our listeners. Uh, so it would seem to me with my, you know, only 30 years or so in government, uh, very limited. And I have a very subjective view, of course. <laughs> you know, we're a couple of kids here uh, trying to figure stuff out. It seems to me that there might be a little bit of a difference in culture and process and sense of mission, but and, and not at all necessarily in a bad way, but there are real differences between the intelligence community and the Centers for Disease Control and other parts of HHS. Can you talk a little bit about how, how you might mesh those things to achieve a better outcome? Yeah, that's a great point because there are cultural differences and quite frankly, cultural differences get in the way uh, a lot of times uh, to for full collaboration. So we really do have to have a, a mindset change both within the intelligence community and within the public health community in order for this to work. Now, I would hope that after nine months of what we've seen in terms of hundreds of thousands of deaths, the, the effect it's had on the economy, that uh, people are more receptive to the kind of collaboration that uh, that I'm advocating. And I, and I want to say, it's not that, that I have thought of this all by myself. There are pockets of collaboration that have been occurring for, for many, many years. Really, what I'm saying is that it really needs to be accelerated. It needs to be codified and it needs to be given a higher priority. So let's talk about some of those cultural differences. For example, as I said, we really need to start to redefine what national security means. And when I came into the intelligence business uh, many, many years ago during the Reagan administration, during the big defense buildup in the early 80s, you know, we were totally boresighted on the Soviet Union. And to think about other issues that might have national security implications, such as infectious diseases or climate change, really wasn't part of the part of the common culture. On the other part of the spectrum, if you're talking about the public health community, it would not surprise you to to find out that there would be some reticence of people in the public health community to want to have any association with intelligence officers, with the intelligence community. Uh, they might feel, and not without full justification, that that might hinder or inhibit uh, their job, their access, etc. But I think we really have to get over those sorts of things if we're going to come up with a very comprehensive approach to dealing with the dangers that are posed by infectious diseases. So it's going to take an education process on, on both sides. You know, Jim, the attack on 9-11-2001 cost 3,000 or so American lives uh, so far to, to this day in this pandemic. We've had over 100 times as many deaths. After 9-11, Washington responded by creating the Department of Homeland Security, which was a little bit, there's some critics of it, there still are, but I think you'd by and large have to say, good idea, executed reasonably well, and has had pretty good results. Not perfect, none of it's been perfect, but overall seems to have, I would argue, made made a lot of sense and taken us in a positive direction. Should we be thinking big here on pandemic response and maybe even be looking at a reorganization of the U.S. government to be better responsive in the future? That would make a great 
separate podcasts in terms, at least how I think about how we have to sort of reinvent the intelligence community to face the challenges that we have in, in the 21st century, reinvent the entire national security enterprise. So some argue that real change, real reform is done in incremental steps because it's the result of some prudent actions, deliberate actions. Some might argue that we overreached after 9-11. We might have overreacted in terms of some of the things that we did. They're all understandable in, in the heat of what happened in the, immediately after 9-11. You know, the, the, the threat of infectious diseases, and I would throw also the, this issue of climate change, they're harder to really see in many respects. And already people think that, hey, if we can get past, you know, with the vaccine coming, which is quite frankly, a, a medical miracle that it's happened so fast that we can let down our guard. But, you know, we're only one pathogen away from COVID-21 or COVID-22. And so we just cannot just say, hey, wow, you know, this was terrible and kind of move on and try to think that the way we're doing business currently or the way we did business on the 1st of January 2020 is going to work uh, for the future. So I would really ask that the new team that's coming in, the Biden administration that's coming in, we're going to have a new director of national intelligence, April Haynes. We're going to have a new secretary of health and human services. We're going to have a new director of the CDC. I don't think it would be out of line or outrageous for them to get together along with the smart people that work for them and say, how can the intelligence community in a comprehensive way, not in a spotty, spotty way or one office doing what they think is right, but in a comprehensive form, uh, address the issue of infectious diseases, the threat of epidemics and pandemics, and look at it from a comprehensive standpoint. But that's going to take a lot of, a lot of study. And it probably will, of course, have to result in some sort of restructuring of the intelligence community and a restructuring of the public health community to be to find the right sweet spot in which the intelligence community is providing value-added support to the efforts of the public health community. But this this is a national security issue priority. Of, I, I again, I'll go back to this issue of the Cold War and the threat the existential threat that nuclear war posed uh, during the during the Cold War. We need to t have that kind of mindset because this country cannot afford to go through another one of these uh, potentially every year. We need to be better prepared. We need to uh, work together. Let's talk about, as we grapple with the idea of bringing the IC more involved in our pandemic response, how that might impact our relationships with other countries. Of course, we're not in the pandemic alone. These are global phenomena. It's very important we work with our friends and allies and even other countries, perhaps even our adversaries uh, in, in a situation like this. So how do you describe the role of uh, the intelligence community in a renewed U.S. effort to fight pandemics, particularly with you know our traditional allies, the five eyes in the intelligence realm, but then extend it to other places like developing countries, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, parts of Latin America, parts of Asia, where we're not necessarily seen as as a national security ally of those countries. How do we build them into our plan? Yeah, and I, and I think this is where the intelligence community can fill these gaps, these collection gaps that the public health community, specifically the CDC, which I focus on in, in my paper, as you know, they have a global detection effort. And this global detection effort is, for the most part, really dependent on the, the willingness and the cooperation of the countries that they're engaging with. I mean, take the China example, and we've, we've certainly seen that how China handled 
the outbreak in Wuhan, how they sort of suppressed information, downplayed the dangers. And I would argue that this is not unique to China itself. You could think of other countries where this would be a problem. So to supplement the CDC's global detection effort, I think having a focused collection effort with specific collection requirements that would focus on on pandemic-related issues to gather information that particular governments might not be willing to make public, might not want to make available to the wealth, uh, the World Health Organization, for example, uh, would be extremely useful. On the other hand, as you mentioned, the Five Eyes, we have traditional partners within the intelligence community where we cooperate on other, what I would call, traditional problems, threats, and challenges in the world. And we could emphasize specifically or prioritize uh, the issue of infectious disease, combating infectious diseases in that regard. So there's synergies. There's a lot of um, related efforts that we already do associated with other more traditional, as I said, security problem sets that we face that we can kind of leverage to apply to the infectious, combating infectious disease uh, problem set. So Dan Coates, the former director of national intelligence, former senator from, from Indiana, but, but the DNI under President Trump highlighted the risks of a global virus pandemic as recently as January of 2019. Kind of amazing. What are your thoughts on how we ensure American policymakers take these kinds of warnings from the IC more seriously? Yes, that's a great point. Less, you know, we all know, or at least those of us who worked in the intelligence business know that warning is one of the most difficult jobs that the intelligence analysts can provide. Uh, first of all, finding all the information that's that is warnable, and then communicating that information to a decision maker in in a believable manner, in a digestible manner. And in any part of that process, it could break down. And so certainly we can look back and it doesn't give us much comfort to look back and say, well, we warned you, but you didn't listen. We, we really have to look at ways to do this more effectively. And I think, as I said, weaving, weaving the issue of combating infectious diseases into kind of the, the fabric of what the intelligence community does as part of its national security mission, giving, that, giving it that priority, and then coming up with digestible, sensible, easily recognizable uh, warning mechanisms to make sure that this is put up front to the senior most decision makers at the national level, the state and local level, I think is is absolutely essential. We'll have to so, sit down with a lot of smart people to do that. But I think just like we used to give threat warnings on the, on the status of, of Soviet strategic forces on, on a daily basis, we used to say, here's the status of, you know, the Soviet submarine fleet or the strategic rocket forces. I don't see why we cannot apply that kind of the same kind of mindset and technique to say, here's here's the global health picture, you know, Mr. President or Mr. Secretary or Madam Secretary, Madam Vice President. And we're, we're green here. We're concerned here. We're seeing indications here. And of course, at the end of the day, it's incumbent upon policymakers and decision makers to accept that information and act upon it. So Jim, I think we're being very realistic here, but let's be a little more hard-eyed on the budget side. We have limited resources in our government. Uh, we're already in a massive deficit spending mode. How realistic is it to add this as a priority to the IC? Is it Can we afford it? Should we be thinking about other things that we might have to let go of if we make pandemic issues a, a higher priority? What's, the, what's your pragmatic sense of whether we can realistically do this in our current budget environment? Yeah, that, that's... You know, I could be flipping and say, 
can we afford it? Can we not afford it? And can we not afford to do it? And I don't think we're far from that in the sense that none of us in our lifetime have seen the kind of suffering and death and the impact on our economy and the global economy than we've seen as a result of COVID-19. So I would argue that it would be a small price to pay to, to prevent another one of these situations to to arise. But I get your point. I mean, it's always a question of budget. And we're certainly, the intelligence community only has a finite amount of dollars, analysts, and collection assets that it can apply to any problem set. So I think we have to be smarter about it. I think there are, as I mentioned earlier, there there are synergies that, that can be created in terms of what the intelligence community is already doing in terms of how it's focusing on certain parts of the world. It's focusing on China. It's focusing on Africa, Latin America, Asia, areas where we know that the smart people that, that follow infectious diseases know where the most likelihood is that these uh, pathogens could emerge and spread. And so in working with partnership, and this is where it's key, hand in glove with the public health community, I think we could smartly apply the intelligence community's resources where it can have the the, the greatest uh, cost benefit. I mean, we just you just can't say, hey, we're just going to cover the entire world. That, that's that's pie in the sky kind of thinking, and it's it's not very smart thinking. So we've got to apply these assets very specifically, uh, guided by uh, smart people, ep- epidemiologists, and others who who do this for a living. Grant, what's the smart question I'm not asking so far? So, Jim, I know as a former Intel guy, you're focused on sort of the here and now and the questions of the moment. But I would love to get your projection. What do you think is the next high impact, low probability event that the intelligence community should be keeping their eye out for? Wow, that's a that's a tough one, Grant. I mean, high impact, low probability or do you think that the pandemics are in the future going to be much more high probability? Well, I think, you know, again, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm an intelligence analyst by trade. But I would say everything that I've seen and read and heard from the, the smart folks that do this for a living say that simply because, you know, human beings are increasingly encroaching on areas that they didn't inhabit before. And so, the ability of them to contact animals, whether they're bats or monkeys or other uh, other uh, animals that can transmit these these uh, pathogens, uh, and then they jump to human beings, increases. So everything I've seen is that uh, the probability of these occurring will increase, and it's really not a question. There 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 are rare things in life that you can say are 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 definitely going to happen, and I think it, it is a question of just a, a matter of, of when and not if. And this is hard to say, given the fact that 300,000 plus Americans have died as a result of COVID-19, but there might be in the future an even more virulent uh, virus out there that is is easily transmittable and even more lethal, and that we could have even even greater death and suffering as a result of that. So this is not an issue that we can just kind of just put on the back burner and just say, wow, you know, thank goodness for the vaccine. And now we don't have to do this anymore. This is this is something that's going to have to be part of our national security architecture 
and will need to be a priority of the intelligence community uh, for for as long as it, that that man is on the planet. So mankind is on the planet. So that that's that's kind of how I look at it. Jim, great paper, great conversation. Thanks for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Les. I do want to make one quick pitch as a result of what we've been talking about. I really think it's time for the Health and Human Services Department to be formally part of the intelligence community. I think that will help in the in the coordination and the collaboration uh, that needs to occur. There are other elements of uh, the U.S. government, like the Department of Treasury and Department of Energy that are part of the intelligence community that provide their specific subject matter expertise. And I think it's time that we, we bring the uh, Health and Human Services Department formally in. As you know, the CDC is part of HHS. And I think that would only serve to uh, to bring those cultures, as you mentioned, together, the public health community and the intelligence community together. So thank you for this opportunity to talk about this very, very important issue. That's a wrap. As always, Fault Lines is produced by the National Security Institute. Find out more about the Institute and upcoming events at nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. If you have any topics you'd like us to cover in the future, send us an email at nsi at gmu.edu or tweet us at masonnatsec. If you like what we're doing here, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that more people can find our show. We'd like to thank Claude Jennings for engineering, Michelle Story for research assistance, and Lester Munson for hosting. And Grant Haver for producing and directing. Join us next week for another provocative conversation and further analysis of national security's fault lines. Mm-hmm.